Better listen very carefully. A good martial artist does not become tense, but ready. Essentially, at this point, the fight is over. So you pretty much flow with the goal. Who is worthy to be trusted with the secret to limitless power? I'm ready. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Bulletproof for BJJ podcast. I'm JT, I'm here with Joey, and we are also blessed to have our good friend, podcaster, gym owner, and general martial arts extraordinaire, Sonny Brown. Thank you, Make you welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show, bros. It's good to be here. Good awesome. to have you here, man. Been hearing your voice over, my, uh, over the stereo for a bit. That's good. And also hearing you on the Subversion events. Yeah. Nice to, uh, nice to meet in person. Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, likewise, guys. Very nice gym setup you got there downstairs. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, the Church of Gains. It's always a bit of a a, a, a thing when you're walking. Like, oh, this is interesting. This is going cool. on. Yeah, it's nice. But uh, it's always great to meet somebody in person, especially if you've been listening to them. You kind of feel it's a, it's weird, illusory thing. You're like, I know this guy. We're kind of friends. He gets me. We've never met. Uh, so it's it's cool to get you on here because i i love it when maybe someone like yourself who's been there interviewed people and and played that role of the uh extractor of information gets to then be in the seat and have the information extracted from them (laughs) (laughs) a gentle extraction i (laughs) I wouldn't say i wasn't gonna say it was gentle but it's happening but um just for the audience because some of our people, even though I think plenty of our people have heard of you, let's get a little bit of background on you, man. Tell us tell us about how you came to be the Sunny Brown of Sunny Brown Breakdown. Sure, sure. So uh, I guess I started training martial arts about 15 years ago and started training MMA from the very get-go. So jiu-jitsu, kickboxing and wrestling or shoot fighting um, was called as we uh, were under the John Will uh, lineage, so I was trained with Anthony Lang, and shoot fighting. We were very lucky to be able to do that, which was the combination of striking and grappling from the very get go. Um, so that was always how, always how I trained. And then basically, you know, uh, been training for a while. Offer for a fight came up, just you know, an amateur fight, and you know, why not? And then luckily, I won it, and then was kind of hooked on on it after that. So I started competing more. Had uh, you know turned professional in uh, quotation marks as you know the professional rules, but we weren't exactly getting paid. Um, but then had more professional fights, and then eventually um, decided to call it a day on the professional fighting, and decided to move into the the coaching side of things. And then part of coaching, I decided to look at things like video study making YouTube videos to get into that kind of arena and then also podcasting then became a part of it because I wanted to, uh, you know, increase my knowledge by talking to different people, getting different ideas, different perspectives and then just started down the podcasting route there myself. When did you go, right, I'm going to start a podcast? So it was in 2019 I did the first one um, at the end of 2019 and then I think I had done a two or three and then when COVID hit um so we're all in lockdown is when I really decided to buckle down on it Mm. and uh you know I had the realization that everyone around the world is sitting at home at that time so I'm just going to reach out to as many people as I possibly can who I could speak to and see if they've got the spare time to do a podcast and a lot of them obviously did awesome um so I was able to record a lot of podcasts in first lockdown we had here in Sydney uh you know I think I did like 20 or something in that in that load was just trying to batch them up all as you know as quickly as possible and then you know slowly edit them and and get them out but that was really that was a you know it turned into a good experience because I was able to get in touch with many people who I looked up to and respected and was you know nervous as anything talking to them you know having these out-of-body experiences I can't (laughs) believe I'm talking to to this person and uh, so that was yeah it was turned out to be a uh, you know very productive time. Awesome we talk about that uh, with jiu-jitsu sort of that it's kind of one of the few things that because it's so young at least here you can actually access these like celebrities or you know top tier individuals can't you like it's still quite organic 
It's not like you have to go through managers or agents or any of that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, everyone was just find their Facebook or Instagram, shoot them a message and a lot of them will get back to you. And a lot of them, it's like, it seemed like they were happy to, to speak. Like, you know, they wanted to tell their story. They wanted to, you know, they were interested that, that someone wanted to hear them, uh, you know, talk about their story. That's so good. Was there, was there a standout in terms of quirkiness or, we, or was there an interview that kind of went, to another level that you didn't anticipate? Definitely, definitely. And it's the Eric Paulson interview. Oh, uh, okay. okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... He, what, what Did you number that episode? So if we could put a link to that if you like in the... I don't know the number off the top of my head, but there is there is one that, um, that Wait, definitely stands out. Which, where did it go? Tell us a bit about that. Well, basically, I mean, he's a legend all time and has a heart of absolute gold. I've spoken to him a couple of times since. I've asked him you know, advice on things and he's just a good-natured, kind-hearted person. But he also has a lot of very interesting beliefs, I'll say that, <laughs> okay. in terms of energy and spirits and, you know, aliens and, uh, you know, crystal <laughs> healing right on. and, you know, seeing um, – I think there was one thing about seeing people's, you know, guardian angels and spirits and stuff like that okay. and got, you know, got quite in-depth on the making of – uh, Passion of the Christ 2, which is apparently when Jesus was going to go down into hell and rescue Adam, which I had no idea that wow. that, that, that is what happened. And, yeah, that was about... Was what that I, also a Mel Gibson production? Apparently it was supposed to be a Mel Gibson production <laughs> that never that never took place. Wow. And so that was about my reaction to it as well, where I just... I didn't know what to say. I didn't know to... Did know, he say that it was... Those who cannot be mentioned in Hollywood holding back. Was there conspiracy theories in I there? Like I don't I you know, he didn't I don't I can't remember now if he mentioned any anything like that specifically. But I mean there's gotta be a conspiracy involved. Right. right. But I think I think it was more just a telling of the story of what actually right. went on in, Incredible. in in the Passion of the Christ too. Um, um, did you either of you guys see Passion of the Christ? I've I, seen part of it. I couldn't watch it all the way through. I actually haven't watched it. So. Yeah, fuck me neither. Okay. I've had a couple of people be like, that's nah, worth watching, but they were my friends who are a bit more, you know, biblically inclined. Sure. I've been like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, it's interesting when you meet somebody who you, you don't, you don't, you know, of them, and then you end up down a rabbit hole and you're like, whoa, hang on. Let's steer it back to the martial arts. <laughs> Let's talk about the fights, okay? <laughs> that was it. You know, I just wanted some cool shooto stories and, you know, tales. <laughs> and, and then I'm, I'm deep into learning about the macabre meditation and, you know, the chakra system and everything, which is great. Don't get me wrong. Like, yes. you, know, you know, much respect to it. But uh, it definitely took a direction that I wasn't expecting. What was the motivation behind the podcast? Was it, were you trying to further your knowledge? Yeah, well, it was just one of those things that I had the idea of like, oh, could I do this? And let's go ahead and, and give it a shot. And then the idea of what I really wanted to do was make something, you know, a podcast that I would listen to. And that would be then finding people who think about the topic of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, martial arts or MMA in a different perspective. So I wasn't really that interested in talking to people who were going to give me a point of view that would, I guess, be considered a traditional point of view mm -hmm. or, you know, something that we've already know or hear or is more common knowledge. So I really just wanted to, like, reach out and find people that are taking things in a bit of a different direction and offering an alternative way of looking at things, not necessarily because I think those people are right in how they're doing things or they're, you know, they are, you know there's a correct way, but just if I can have those conversations and bring those things to light, I think that it can help, uh, you know, start conversations that could then lead to different positive changes. Awesome. Makes sense. That's how you evolve the thinking. And yeah, I was going to say, maybe we can throw it back a little because I feel like the, the podcast, like some, some people listening right now may already be uh, fans of yours through the podcast and your Instagram and lots of great things like that. The thing that always interests me when I'm meeting anybody who does Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or does MMA, combat sports in general, how did it start? Because that is often – for some people it's, it's not a big thing, but for some people that is very defining in terms of the passion they bring or why they're so invested in the journey. So if you don't mind, I just thought we'd throw back to like what, why and how did it start for you, this, this thing? Yeah, sure. So one of the, I mean, the one of the main motivations for me to start martial arts was in 
think it was 2001, I was attacked um, after a house party, oh. walking home from it. Uh, so, you know, a big house party on the northern beaches that got gate crashed and everything. Um, you know, a couple hundred people there probably. And then it was only a couple of streets away from my home. And then last I remember is walking home from that. And then the next thing I remember is actually waking up in a street a couple of kilometres away just covered in blood head to toe. Jesus. And just I was walking one way up a dead-end street, I remember, and uh, just, you know, thinking, well, this, is, this isn't right. And so turned around and start walking home. And then, you know, as I got home, I remember going in, uh, looking at myself in the mirror and just being covered in blood just everywhere. And I'm just saying, oh, God, this, this is, isn't good. So, of course, I did probably the worst thing you possibly do and went to bed and, you know, <laughs> went to sleep. Um, and then my mum woke me up in the morning going, you know, why is all this blood in the bathroom? And I woke up, I looked down at my pillow just covered in blood and I'm like, oh, just give me a second to clean up. So, you know, I didn't want to let her see me as I was because I know, know it would freak her out. So got up, cleaned the bathroom, cleaned the blood off, went to the hospital. Um, and then, you know, they immediately uh, rushed us to Royal North Shore uh, intensive care. And I suffered a, a skull fracture and a subdural hematoma, which is a blood clot on the brain. So they were very, uh, they were monitoring me for quite a while. And, you know, at one point I remember distinctly the doctor coming in and explaining a surgery they might have to do, which I think was a craniotomy, where they'd have to peel back my skull, remove the blood clot and then put it back, put it back on and I'm just sure. there going, you know, yeah, mate, yep, all good, you know, <laughs> like what do you do? Oh, um, How old are you at this time? I guess it's probably like 17 or something like that. So, you know, teenager in high school. Um, and then... After that, I certainly lost my confidence a lot, like, you know, just going out and walking around. I was, you know, just not confident at all, obviously, um, and, you know, a bit unsure of myself. And then so eventually, well, it was still a couple of years uh, after that, you know, found my way into martial arts. And then that really helped, you know, even going through that process, having the fights, overcoming that fear and just getting that confidence back that, okay, I'm going to be able to handle myself and, you know, I'm not going to just be uh, a, a victim again and then I'll be able to, you know, deal with situations as, as I encounter them. And then having the confidence to back that up in words and just talking, uh, you know, really was a, a transformative thing that I look on as, you know, okay, if, I, if, that, if martial arts can do that for me, then, you know, that is a, a positive role as a coach to be able to potentially provide that to other people yeah. who may have something similar or not as bad or, you know, on a smaller level, whatever. But I just know that it, it can be a very positive force in people's lives. Wow, man, what a thing to go through. That hits me right in the feels. I had kind of similar things, not, not to that degree, but, you know, similar things of feelings of vulnerability, being dominated by, you know, whatever, older kids, big kids, beaten up and... and you know, you look back there and you're like, wow, fuck, that was the thing that actually pushed me into this whole person that I am now, which I'm sure you're not regretful of it because, you know, it's been an amazing, like, transformation. Uh, what happened to you in that, you know, when you said you got attacked, are you, do you know what went down? No, it was basically just a, a blackout. So I never know what happened. I remember the police came in and checked in once, but like, nothing, you know, nothing's ever known or, or happened from that. Wow. So it was just, um, you know, probably been hit with something and, yeah, just came to and then that was when I was walking up the street, so. Well, they oftentimes as a kind of, I guess, like a survival mechanism, the brain will black things out too. Yeah. And so if it's like big enough head or physical trauma, that can happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know for sure I've taken some, not to the point of blacking out, but I've been beat down pretty badly and there's nothing worse than that feeling of being out of control and technically you are a victim but like just you can do nothing about it yeah and it's like you jesus you're just getting whatever it might be pulverized and that's i think the difficulty is a lot of people might end up experiencing that some way shape or form and then being like well i'm never going out of here again like i'm permanently staying away from anything like that the fact that you then over time were able to overcome it and go through your process, that's awesome. And I don't know that that is necessarily the common thing, but to then go, hey, I'm going to do MMA, 
That's that's a that's a that's, jump. That's, that's, a jump. <laughs> that's not just like, hey, I'm do Krav Maga. <laughs> like, no, that's bro. I want to fight. Like, t- talk to me about that because I think people who do jujitsu but also do MMA have a different perspective on what combat is versus someone who trains jujitsu has done that forever, and then you know might like like the UFC. Compared yeah. to someone who's actually training jujitsu and also like getting punched and kicking and, and everything else, can you speak to a little bit of the learning jujitsu and also shudo and that? Yeah, yeah. So, I guess in terms of the actual fight itself, one of the biggest differences between jujitsu and MMA or being in a fight is it's definitely your your reality and perception of reality changes so dramatically from a jujitsu competition mm. to an MMA bout. In that it just it, in the MMA bouts, it seems like you're in a completely different headspace, and the environment may you know contribute to that. Obviously, walking out in front of a crowd, you know, in a cage, shirts so your, off. Your, your fight when you started fighting was it in a cage or a ring? So the first, I think, two were in a ring, and then was in a cage. Mm. So I remember I wanted to you know fight in the cage eventually because then it, I could be cage fighter. You know, yeah. Yeah. get the tattoo. Um, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. You know, the, you know that that was um, a consideration. I wouldn't call myself tap say, out cage tattoo fighter. on her neck. Hundred um, <laughs> percent. Well, that was that was one thing I, I actually stood out. I think in MMA because I don't have any tattoos. So that was actually, you know... Look at this guy. What's he going to do? Exactly. (laughs) Doesn't even have any tough stickers. Exactly. (laughs) You know, the adrenaline rush and everything you get from MMA, it just makes the, you know, process of competing and combat so drastically different to jiu-jitsu. And I guess, you know, maybe on jiu-jitsu on the higher levels, like when they get to ADCC or something like that, then, you know, when, when you've got the crowd and all those eyes on you again, maybe it would get more similar. But I still think that, you know, the the physical effects too of getting punched and kicked yep. is is going to change things definitely i did taekwondo before i came to uh jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. and that was a different experience but then i also did mma and trained for mma and understanding that intensity or feeling that intensity you had a fight didn't you i did i did just I the one a, or multiple? yeah just the one and i had like an interclub a couple other things but relevant to that 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 intensity piece you're speaking on mm. definitely when you go in the cage and everyone leaves so there might be an announcer in the ring doors and then everyone leaves yep and then clink the cage is closed you're looking across it's like it's just me and this guy the only way this finishes is one of us is going down or we're just going to go so hard on each other until they pull us apart or they the time ends that is a very that's it's difficult to quantify or explain how real and raw that feeling is like, right, you're going down. Like I'm so determined. And this guy is also like, you're going down. And it, that's really full on. I guess what I wanted to ask for your experience because you said straight away you had the mind to fight and do MMA when you started doing jiu-jitsu amongst this. Mm-hmm. I guess my question is what's your take on doing jiu-jitsu as somebody who wants to – fight versus someone who just wants to do jiu-jitsu for its own sake. Yeah, well, that perspective has definitely changed um, a lot as I think the whole culture of jiu-jitsu has changed in the last, you know, 10, 15 years where, you know, when I started training, I thought, you know, the reason for doing jiu-jitsu was to compete in MMA. That that was, you know, that was the idea behind jiu-jitsu was so that you could fight. Now it's so much different where there is a lot more avenues for people to do jiu-jitsu just for jiu-jitsu's sake that it's really taken that away. And I've found that there's actually a lot more kickboxers now wanting to come in and do MMA than than jiu-jitsu people wanting to step up and do MMA, Uh. which I think is has been a, a radical shift in in how things have been perceived. Um, so I think, you know, there is just those outlets now for people to just do jiu-jitsu and they can, you know, be quite happy training just jiu-jitsu, competing in that, that it's almost, you know, the desire to represent jiu-jitsu in a cage or against other combat sports doesn't have to be there and maybe, you know, getting punched in the head isn't for everyone. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of people doing jiu-jitsu that, and it, you know, can uh, affect a wide variety of the population. I think it's fine if they've got no desire to ever, you know, represent jiu-jitsu in a cage fight. Well, they used to kind of be one and the same in a way, didn't they? Like, 
I remember when I started, it was, I guess this is also dependent on the gym you're at, but jiu-jitsu was like, it was scrappy, you know, it was like getting after it. It was, oh yeah, that guy's doing MMA. Hey, let's chuck some open hand strikes into the rolls today. Like it was, you know, we would do that shit training. Oh, so-and-so's yeah. doing a pan craze comp. Let's put on four ounce gloves and, you know, you'd be like, all right, great. Whereas now, and, and I guess back then it was, it was way more niche. It was really just fighters and stuff and, and people who were, maybe closer to that realm that we're it into also, it. I think it was also just more Wild West. Yeah. Like, whereas, whereas now you got like people who are looking for fitness, people who are like, oh, I want, you know, empowerment and self-defense and, and they're finding their way to jiu-jitsu. And so it's almost like, it's kind of like if you went to a judo club and they're like, hey, we're putting gloves on and you'd be like, what the fuck? I came here for judo, judo. man. Yeah. You know, nowadays it's more along those lines, isn't it? Definitely. You have just opened your own gym. Yeah. Apex MMA. So yeah. Please speak to us about that. Yeah, so opened up Apex MMA on the Northern Beaches. Uh, we're located in, in, in Brookvale. But basically, uh, I guess, you know, I've been working at a lot of different gyms, coaching, you know, or around Sydney for, for a couple of years. And my instructor, Anthony Lang, had retired. And so myself and uh, Nick Pudney, who's another black belt and has had professional fights, um, have gone in together and opened up our own gym. And it's, it's really exciting at the moment. I've been, it's been off to a great start. And just to be able to put some of these things that I've learned teaching, you know, into a, you know, holistic practice and then the idea that I can, you know, potentially help those people, like I mentioned before, and within my own journey, uh, has just been, you know, a, a, a goal of mine and it's great to you know it's very exciting at the moment as you know as things are all still kicking off awesome can you give us a little um breakdown of anthony lang because he's kind of i've never known him personally but you know you see his patch everywhere like yeah. he's synonymous with the sydney jiu-jitsu scene mm. yeah so i guess probably one of the biggest things that i've taken in terms of inspiration from anthony over the years because he started you know, I think his first fight was 95 in wow. Shudo, like one of the first Shudo events he was there. He had uh, two fights in Shudo, Valley Tudo uh, events. And so, you know, he's been around the scene for a very long time. You know, it's the first Jiu-Jitsu MMA gym in Sydney, I believe. Wow. And, you know, so he's, you know, he's been there, done that um, in terms of skills and very lucky to have him just up the road from where I live, you know, and up the road from my high school. I, I remember seeing in the, in the local paper when Elvis fought Tito for yep. the uh, <laughs> UFC championship, like that was in the Manly Daily and so that, you know, that put the idea of the gym in well, my Well, was head. Elvis training, was he with you guys? Yeah, or was he yeah. with Anthony? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that was, you know, back, back then. And uh, so very lucky to just have that just down the road. So, you know, I think the whole time the gyms have been open, that, that poster for the UFC 30 or 31, I think it was, is you know, been on the wall. So it's just, you know, a lot of experience that he has in the martial arts field. But probably the most inspirational thing was he was actually an old punk rocker. So he used to play in a punk rock band. Right. There was a, a couple of punk rock bands. I'm, I'm blanking on the name at the moment. But I think that his punk rock ideology kind of, you know, which is a do-it-yourself by, you know, express yourself, whatever it is, don't be judgmental, do what you want. I think kind of really helped mould the club in a certain way in that we had a lot of freedom to try things and go down avenues of whatever we were interested in. Uh, you know, obviously back then Eddie Bravo was a kind of controversial figure, you know, if you want to do rubber guard or twisters or some, something like that, whereas, you know, that was some of that stuff was in the syllabus and it was, there was never any questions if you wanted to do a certain thing, if, if that would be allowed or not. So I think that kind of punk rock ideology kind of really helped steer things and I'm grateful for to be able to have, have had that freedom to find, you know, or go down the different avenues of martial arts whichever way I wanted to. So did you spend more time, I guess, in those developmental years training in the gi or training no gi with gloves on? Like what did that, what did that look like? Yeah, so... Or was it gi with gloves on, which is the ultimate old school look? <laughs> yeah. With uh, sleeveless gi. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Master Ken. <Yeah. laughs> Cut off. <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty much the gi was for winter and no gi, you know. It's for summer, summer yeah. You know? So um, that was a lot of it. But there was, you know, there was never any attachment to the gi. So we always did like a lot of no gi. Um, but it was, yeah, it was very seasonal. Um, and it was just everyone trained both, no matter what. It didn't didn't really matter. Mm. Kind of worked well back then, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. 
On that, how do you how do you manage that? Like, what's your plan to manage that within your school? Where you know we've talked about this a lot. Where gi and no gi now, you know, very different games. Yeah. So we are like the the coaches there and myself. We are drawn to no gi. So at at the moment, we're still doing uh, both. But the it's very interesting that no gi does seem to be getting uh, a lot of interest in, especially people coming in, beginners wanting to just do no gi, which I was a bit unsure of. I mean, to me, I always thought that the gi was, you know, kind of what would draw people in. It was, you know, that was martial, that was a symbol of martial arts. So if people wanted to do martial arts, they see someone in the gi, that's, that's what it is to them. But now people are coming in wanting to do nogi and I think, you know, part of that I think is just, you know, what's more successful professionally and then I also think what's, you know, driven by the algorithm of, you know, social media where if someone's probably searching, uh, you know, nogi or jiu-jitsu gyms, now they're probably being fed, you know, 4K Polaris footage or ADCC highlights or Gordon Ryan more than IBJJF competition footage which, you know, an ADCC... Pack Stadium, IBJJF Worlds, Empty Stadium. Specimens. Yeah, spe- specimens. <laughs> yeah, too, going sure. at it. Yeah, sure. And that, uh, you know, I, I think that w- would have to play a role as well in, you know, driving people, beginners to want to come in and do no gi uh, as well. So we're going we're gonna to see how it goes. I'm just I'm monitoring it carefully to see, you know, where things are going to go in that direction. So you do, you do offer both, but yep. you find yourself just your inclination – with your fighting background and everything like that, more drawn to nogi? Is that just yeah? I mean, feels I, more true to fighting for you, or yeah? The best example I can give is when we do open mat. Everyone just wants to do nogi. Okay, you know, if given the choice, people leave the gi's off and do nogi, right? Okay. So I, you know, I've got no problem with with the gi at all, and I find that just because having trained with it and with MMA in mind and doing nogi. I find it very easy to, you know, simulate grips with the gi or without the gi and just, you know, finding crossovers like, you know, lapel grips or, you know, collar grips, then being a collar tie and just making adjustments between a gi and no gi game. But, yeah, the the inclination is towards no gi. Right. How long did you do MMA for? Yeah, uh, good question. I guess maybe six or seven years, right. I think. Yeah. And it, it's a tough thing, the MMA game, because – I think one of the things that frustrated me, like I actually didn't continue with the MMA journey just through pure frustration for not getting fights. Yeah. You'd train like three, four months and be in peak condition, know you had to cut and then know that guy's injured or you can't fight. Or like, oh, no, we've cancelled that cut. And you're like, it's you could go 18 months and just be like, I'm just trying to get a fight here, right? Yeah. And so if you're trying to build a career, I think the thing that fascinates me but also makes me feel – uh, very i feel bad for mma fighters if you take a couple of losses your market value drops significantly you still might be a great fighter but there's something about that win loss ratio that is so heavily biased between someone who can string together some wins earlier in the career whereas in jiu-jitsu you could lose for 10 years but if you suddenly you're a world champion you're always a world champion you know what i mean and yep. then People that don't remember that you <laughs> suffered and struggled for so long. It's like, no, that guy, he won worlds, blah, blah, blah. With that in mind, like you doing MMA, you say it was like six, seven years. People don't often stay in the game that long. People come in, try it out, get brutally injured, and then they're out. You were actually able to put together like a good run of fights. Talk to us about like that journey from starting MMA, having an MMA career, and then moving to the next thing. Yeah, so... I think, you know, to speak to that, especially to the win-loss stuff, so, you know, I ended up probably at the start I was I, I won a lot of fights in a row. I think I got on a five-fight win streak at one point. I think I won one, lost one, then got on a five-fight win streak. And it's very easy to keep fighting when you're winning. Yes. You know, that's, that's no problems, right? Um, and I remember at the time I would look at people with MMA records who, you know, you know more losses than wins, right? And I would think to myself why you know why are they doing it why would you keep going like that um and then once i'd had a couple of losses i actually looked at them differently and thought wow they're brave 
they are, they've got guts, you know, probably more guts than me to actually keep going because it's the hardest thing to, you know, have those losses and then, oh, am I going to, am I going to still do this? Uh, so, you know, and it's very much, as you said, like the market value is, you, you know, people just remember your last, your last fight, right? Mm-hmm. That was, that's the one, that's the one that mattered. But, you know, as I was uh, heading up, winning some fights, um, so I managed to get a title shot. Nice. Um, which was against Dan Hooker back on like a oh, rise yeah. show. Cool. So, yeah, yeah, very lucky that he went on to some pretty big things. So, it's, <laughs> you know, it's a good name. But that one just came around by fluke. My, my partner um, or training partner, Rob Hill, was supposed to be fighting him. He missed weight. And uh, the, you know, they, they, they t- the promoter takes us out onto the sidewalk and goes, Sonny, you want to fight for the title? And like, full <laughs> Rocky moment. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Um, <laughs> That's <yeah>. amazing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I went out and, and did that. Won that fight. Amazing. Uh, Anaconda choke, you know, right. was, was crazy. And then due to that, you know, then there was other title shots. So then had, um, you know, won two more titles and then, uh, you know, had another another win on CFC, which was a big promotion here. Yeah. And then actually speaking to the the process of getting ready for fights and then, you know, having them fall through. I then tried out for the Ultimate Fighter uh, Nations or whatever the season. The first one mm-hmm. they did in Australia. Ashes, like Australia Ashes, versus that, England. That was yeah. Smashes, yeah. wasn't it? Smashes, yeah. that's Correct. the one. Um, and so I got through the first selection process and then, uh, you know, they, they held us back, did all the tests, all the interviews and stuff like that. And then eventually they called us up and said, you know, you didn't make it in your first reserve. And I imagine they're probably telling that to everyone who didn't make it in, sure. you know what I mean? Like, you know, here's a little consolation, make yourself feel a bit better. But that process was probably one of the worst because we had a, like a rough date of when it was going to be mm-hmm. and you know you, there's going to be a fight. So that, like I was training for gotta a fight, got to be ready, not even knowing when it was going to be. And then that was a massive letdown. Um, and so then after that, I, I lost a, a bunch of fights in a row. Um, and the last fight I had, I broke my arm in the middle of the fight um, from blocking a kick. Oh. Kept fighting it for a couple of minutes more before getting knocked out. And then, you know, like a like a like a visual break, or just like you were like, oh, it broke the bone clean through, so it didn't it didn't go out of the skin or anything. But I knew oh. immediately that it was it was broken because of just where it was placed. And I remember trying to shake it out, and it's like, oh, hang on, this is in the middle of my arm. Oh. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> and then, yeah, it was probably on the drive back from Wollongong to Royal North Shore that I, um, you know, with the broken arm that I thought, you know what, let's uh, let's move into coaching. <laughs> Fair play. <laughs> Fair play. And, I mean, man, what a time, that time around that first, uh, you know, Australia, UK, tough because that's a lot of the formative Australian UFC fighters, right? That's Rob Whitaker. Was it George Sotoropoulos was the coach? Yeah. Uh, was yeah, it Richie, yeah. Richie Vass. Richie Vass is in uh, there. Even Big Dan. Dan Kelly. Dan, Dan Kelly. Kelly. <laughs> like there yes. was like a lot of Aussies. Yeah. It, stars. Stars. Future stars. At, at, that t- at that time. It's strange to think. I mean, obviously we're glad you're here with us and I'm sure everyone who has anything to do is glad you're on the path you're on. Yeah, random to think about where that might have gone otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you never know what toss of the coin could have could have changed things in that in that situation. But you know, I'm happy for how things things turned out, even through through all of that. So even now, looking on now as I coach, you know, having experienced wins, you know, experienced championships, main events, and then also being on the flip side and having experienced losses, bad injuries, and things like that, I'm grateful to have that that you know broad range of experience to then be able to speak to people I'm coaching on on both sides of the coin. Yeah, definitely. I first came across you actually through Instagram before I was aware of your podcast. And this idea of the break, I love analysis. I'm a nerd. So if I see good analysis and good understanding, I appreciate it. So that's when I was like, ah, Sonny Brown, hey? Let's have a look here. And I was, I was like, I was into it, man. So I, that's how I, I guess I became familiar with your view and your take on fights, scenarios, scenes, whether it was jiu-jitsu or MMA or whatever it might be. You know, obviously listen to the podcast and, and some of the interviews and, uh, you know, you've had a lot of different guests on there. Do you feel through this process of having your podcast, interviewing people, 
In terms of how that informs you about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, do you feel that that's made you a better coach? Like you, you have more knowledge now because you've gone through that process? Yeah, 100%. You know, I think that they're, again, speaking to like a big shift, I think just as there are, you know, more and more black belts, more and more people, uh, you know, coaching jujitsu and it's starting to, to spread out a bit more, there's a lot of things to look back on that have just been done because that's the way they've always been done and, you know, not necessarily because it's the best way moving forward. And so I think by looking... How dare you? Yeah, it's, a, it's a dangerous <laughs> phrase. But I will, I will speak to something in regards to that because... You know, so being able to speak to people who are doing things differently, as I said, you know, maybe, you know, veering out of those traditions and, and norms gives you a good perspective on what possible shifts or directions things are heading. Uh, but to speak to that, there's, it's always good to keep in mind that even though you might not like the way things are being done, maybe there's another reason that they were put in place that perhaps helped jujitsu get to where they were or, you know, get to where it is. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, traditions that perhaps people don't like, but maybe without them, you wouldn't be doing jujitsu today yep. if, if they weren't put in place. You know, the, the Gracie family had to do a lot to get jujitsu to a global level. There's not many other, you know, niche sports that can make that claim. And, you know, to get it into the UFC, to market it in such a way that it could break out to the global phenomenon it, that it is you have to respect that there are some of those things which perhaps you don't like but were necessary to get it to that point. That's but a great point. That's a very good point. Um, yeah, it makes me think I was listening to recently your episode, is it Greg Souter? Yeah. And, I, you know, he obviously has a very particular view on coaching. We discussed this on a, on a recent episode. We did. And, um, you know, I found that really fascinating and I, I, I kind of liked the way you pushed back on, like you challenged some of his ideas and I, I did think I felt – to correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you want to push back a bit harder sometimes to challenge, but he, you know, whatever, you're, you're trying to facilitate them doing the thing. <laughs> you're trying to be nice. Yeah, you, know. <laughs> you invited him on the show. Um, you don't want to ax him. <laughs> like, I would. I'd get Greg Souter on here. I think, I'd ax him. I think JT was quoted on that episode saying, fuck Greg Souter. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I listened to him on BJJ Mental, Mental Models. I couldn't handle it, dude. After half an hour, I was like, shut up, fool. Like, you're not that smart, bro. <laughs> Like, I mean, he's smart. Tell like, us sorry. how you really feel, JT. <laughs> sorry. I'm going to shut up because I want to hear – you spoke with him. Yeah. I haven't heard that podcast. Okay. But I did listen to him on BJJ Mental Models and it is interesting to hear someone have a different perspective. Mm. But maybe because I'm already pretty nerdy and, and have already thought about these things, I didn't think what he said was so revolutionary. It seemed kind of obvious in some ways. And then he was very kind of dismissive of certain things. I'm like, no, nah, dude, even though that can be done poorly, it can also be done well, like warm-ups. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, dude, you're like saying don't warm up? Like, like I, that for my, for my take, skill acquisition and fitness development are quite separate. Mm -hmm. But, you, you know, you're quite a considered guy. You may be a little bit more even keel on these things than I am. What did you feel about that conversation because like Joe's saying, he felt that you could have pushed back a bit more or wanted to? Yeah, I just wanted to know like, you know, on that point about, you know, you have your show, you, you get people on that bring new things to the table. Um, what did you take away from that? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things, which is one is like, you know, what I would, my, my actual beliefs in coaching and then how I put it into practice. And then there's also what I think makes a good interview to, to actually listen sure. to, right? Yeah. So I have to separate it there. Well, one thing I've noticed is a lot of, I think it is a, you know, a cultural thing for, you know, Americans who are perhaps doing their own thing is they've got a very, very strong opinion on the, the way they're doing things are right. And that is actually probably why he even came across the radar to do an interview at all sure. is because he's taking that strong stand, even though I might disagree with him on some things, by taking that strong stand, he actually, you know, sets himself up as a, you know, a figure that is representative of this, you know, uh, the ecological approach now. And that allows him to, you know, put himself out there as someone to be interviewed. So I kind of got to take it that even though I I might find, uh, you know, some certain things obnoxious. Um, I think there was in the BJJ Mental Models 
interview, I think, you know, he just wrote off anyone not, not teaching that but, way But also the BJJ mental models guy, like, he was just on that Greg Sauter dick. Like, 100%. Like, I love confrontation, if you can't tell. And so, but also I love podcasts. What I find not helpful is just when the um, person, the host, is just like, yeah, man, whatever you say, that sounds amazing. Which is just all I've, I got from that interview. And yeah. even though I feel like Greg Sauter has some interesting ideas, I think it's, it's really great when you've got someone with experience like yourself. It's like, oh, counterpoint to that. What about this? Which I think makes it a much more interesting because then you get more of an understanding. This echo chamber of the same idea. So even if his idea seems original or different, just having more and more people saying the same thing, it, I, I find isn't a good discussion. Yeah, and that is definitely something I try and do in, you know, in the interviews or, I mean, just in general, I think if you just take whatever someone says at first, you know, on face value and never try and probe for the reasoning why or, you know, what they think for the counterpoints, it never really uncovers, you know, the actual depth of, of how they've thought it through or why they actually think that way. So that was, I was definitely trying to bring up uh, some particular, you know, counterpoints of ways that we know work, you know, that there are high-level people who don't train like that and it's actually probably still the majority. So even if there are some, you know, some standout performers from there, the reality of it is that there are these other ways of doing it that just, you know, seem to be working and working well. So if you haven't addressed the the counterpoints and the alternatives and are just pushing your own alternative, then it's it becomes a boring conversation for me. I want to know what, you know, are you aware of the other ways out there? What do you think of them? And then, you know, what do you think of the people who say that that way is actually better than yours? And then I think that can actually draw out a more considered response from people. Yeah. You know who I think does that that pushback thing really well is Lex Friedman. Lex Friedman, yeah. He, you know, he said, you ever listen to his show? A couple, yeah. He just, I don't know, maybe he's doing a lot late, but he's just like, you're just telling me, he's like, I'm just going to push back on that. So, and, you know, and, he, and so they're like, okay, cool. You know, like it's almost like he pre-frames it. Yeah. To, to then be like, I think you could be wrong because of X. And then it opens that up. It kind of brings down the confrontational wall, which, you know, sometimes is prevalent. <laughs> speaking, <laughs> speaking of counterpoints, uh, prior to this conversation, you and I had a quick chat, um, Sonny, and you're like, dude, what's with all these purple belts coming to talk to me about warm-ups, bro? Yeah. Like you, you bloody bulletproof boys. Oh, well, you said, uh, yeah, right on. <laughs> Talk, talk you're like, you're then. fucking purple belts. You're not supposed to warm up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Follow the tradition. Well, it's a model. Know your well, lineage. Yeah, well, it, it is one of those things. Like when we talk about the, uh, you know, the things that have perhaps been necessary to, to get jujitsu to where it is, but then now some people want to throw away. Warm-ups is one of the things that just comes up so consistently as like a big sacred cow that people either want to protect or want to gore. You know, they want to it's, – it's one way or another. People get very divided on, on, on warm-ups for, for whatever reason. Um, and, I mean – So there's a strong camp for the – like no warm-up? There's a strong camp for no warm-ups. Right Greg, the Greg Souders in that camp as well. Yep. And I mean, you know, or some people just want to go – you know, I think that, you know, the Danaher style of teaching is that you're a professional athlete, so you should warm up in your own time and I'm just going to start giving instruction and then we drill technique and then we roll. And, I mean, he is producing the best athletes in the world or jiu-jitsu athletes in the world, but, you know, they are also professional athletes and not people coming from their nine-to-five job sure. who, you know, don't have that additional time to warm up. Um, and then there's the belief that, you know, you're paying for a service, you're paying for jiu-jitsu, you are not paying to spend, you know, 10 minutes doing star jumps or something like that. Mm, sure. Right? So there's – so everyone, you know, you know, a lot of people – I won't say everyone. Some people sure. are happy. Have yeah. Just happy-go-lucky people. But a lot of people get quite, uh, you know, opinionated on, on warm-ups in particular. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. So you're saying your people, they're like, why are we doing these warm-ups or they want more? So, I mean, so what I do with warm-ups, I'll say, is I think I try to walk a, you know, a middle line. I'll do a basic dynamic warm-up and then try and warm-up with things like hand fighting or small games or just, you know, movement-based stuff. Um, but, you know, I think even the dynamic warm-up, you know, rolling the shoulders over and stuff like that, people are like, why are we, why are we running in a circle rolling our shoulders over or things like that, right? Sure. Yeah. When you start jiu-jitsu or even if you've come from other martial arts – you're like, oh, but this is jiu-jitsu, it's different. Or we don't do that. Like, 
there's an interesting lack of formality around Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. When you look at any other physical discipline, uh, let's, let's talk about dancing, like ballet, or let's, let's look at gymnastics, or let's look at anything else which requires... Like wrestling. Wrestling. Peak physical conditioning. Now, I am for sure not one for star jumps. <laughs> not at all. But you look around and you're like, wow, these people are remarkable physical athletes... And this is what they do. They have very high skill as well, even though it's not our skills. It's not necessarily grappling, but maybe it is. Why would we not dedicate just a small portion of time to a degree of preparation? And for me, it's a kind of cognitive bias or cognitive fallacy, which is like, oh, you get warm when you're doing the same old thing you always do. Maybe on the surface that makes sense until you have chronic lower back pain, wrecked fingers, wrists that you can't put weight in, a head you can't turn, you look like a meow brother, you know, you're basically only not in pain when you're full of adrenaline and you're actually rolling. That's when it's a problem. But no one knows that at the start. Everybody's just like, oh, let's just get to the fun bit. Let's just skip, like, let's just have a good time. But actually this is like a real short-term thinking which just appeals to our immediate gratification you know, like I, I, that's my take on it. It doesn't matter what you do. What, how do you, how do you see it? I, I actually agree with you there because we did mention someone before, Andrew Nurlich, a, a black belt who we train with, who, you know, mid shout out to the man, yeah, le- absolute legend, and he does enjoy a good warm up, you know, <laughs> but he's got an excellent warm up routine. That mid sixties active black belt, active, still on the mats that he got from Steve Maxwell, Amazing. and you know, shout out Steve Maxwell. Yep. Legend. I, I've done a number of his seminars. Like if we're talking about longevity, he's got the oldest head on like the youngest body. Like he's just lean and kind of jacked and but he's got this real old gnarled head. But I always like, dang, Steve Maxwell's in shape. Every time I see him, it doesn't matter how old he gets. That guy looks healthy. Yeah, so I think – and, you know, if, if I look at those people and they're warming up, uh, you know, people in the Olympics are warming up. Uh, and also people who get back from injury seem to want to spend more time warming up. You know? <laughs> so, so, Good point. So, you know, I look at that and think, well, hey, okay, yeah, you know, 20 years old, yeah, I probably didn't need to warm up then either. But I look at those other examples and think, well, maybe there is a middle ground here that we can, you know, it doesn't have to be 20 minutes of star jumps, but sure. we can make it fun and engaging and also, you know, have a good warm up in there as well. Amazing. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think in jiu-jitsu too, there's an arms race whereby, you know, if you can learn whatever, you know, whatever's out on Fanatics that's hot right now that, you know, so-and-so was using in the last big event, if I can learn that, then I'll win the comp this weekend. Or if I can learn that, then I'm going to tap, you know, like it, and it's literally like that. It's like, oh, no, nah, they're not playing that now. They're doing it this way. Like, fuck, show it to me. And you start to be more effective on the mats. So I think for a lot of people, any time that's not spent on that, it's a waste of time. It's like, just show me the fucking new techniques, which is a short-sighted view in general, right? Because it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. It's great to learn those new things and have those novel kind of um, whatever uh, sequences that you use or techniques that you go to. But at the end of the day, you're going to live in your body for the rest of your life. So why don't we try and protect that thing as well? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's the goal. You know, when people think of good jujitsu, well, you have to have a body that's able to do jujitsu at all if you want to do good jujitsu. So you might, you know, some moves or, or techniques that are putting a lot of weight, uh, pressure on lower backs and, and, and joints and things like that. Is it really good jujitsu if it wins you the competition but leaves you, you know, injured and un- unable to lift things above your head, in, you know, into your you know, older age? And I think that's a, that's a good thing to, to keep in mind as well. And so in terms of people who are out there maybe early in the journey, Maybe they've done jiu-jitsu for a couple of months or maybe just one or two years. Maybe they're interested to do MMA. I know that there's a lot of um, guys out there who I know who are kind of late 20s, early 30s, huge UFC fans, and they're now armchair BJJ fans. They're like, oh, my mate, he's trained for at least three weeks, man. And, yeah, dude, like he showed me this choke and stuff. It's like, yeah, I'm definitely going to do jiu-jitsu. All right, cool. Come, come back and see me when you've done it. Yep. I've noticed this as a trend, whereas before, a couple of years ago, people weren't that aware of jiu-jitsu, whereas now the understanding or the awareness has grown based off how you came to Brazilian jiu-jitsu and combat sports and MMA. What would be your advice for someone who's early in the journey? What is a couple of things you would give them 
as ways to move forward? Yeah, good question. You know, I think a, a big thing is going to be to take it slow and plan for it to be a, you know, a, it's at least going to take a couple of months before you even get comfortable in any basic positioning and just realise that it's it's going to be a process of sticking to it and turning turning up and then listening and then you can do research and everything outside of time outside of class but it is going to take a while before you become comfortable with any of the positions or techniques and just knowing that as you as you get in um you know the idea that it's just going to come in and master things straight away would be great I'd, I'd, I'd love to see that as well but it is still going to take a while now as coaches we try and speed that up as much as possible we try and you know filter out the you know unnecessary techniques leave the the ones we think are most necessary in but just knowing that it is you know we've been doing it a a long time people have been doing it a lot longer than me and that you know the the process is gonna is gonna have to evolve for yourself nice when you look at jujitsu now because most of our people who who do listen to this podcast um, are just purely about that jiu-jitsu life. Yeah. Because you talk to a lot of authoritative, informed, groundbreaking people in jiu-jitsu. Is there any insight that you could give them relevant to jiu-jitsu or anything that if you thought you were speaking to a student of yours who's just focused on jiu-jitsu, where would you direct them in terms of the getting better piece? Yeah, I think there's there's one thing with a lot of wrestling crossover now coming into jiu-jitsu and becoming you know more an important part of the game uh especially obviously in nogi and i think a lot of the principles from wrestling are starting to transfer over especially in nogi which is you know things like stance so that that is something that you know is is just hammered on in wrestling to get into a good stance you know whenever you're wrestling never leave your stance and that has not really been emphasized in jiu-jitsu as much over the years. So, you know, when you'd be training and someone gets uh, – you get mounted or something like that or even drilling techniques when, you know, you would just be there, arms wide open and mounted and that's developing those bad habits where, you know, knowing that it is a martial art and you should be in stance at all times is something that can be very important and is going to, you know – help you develop much faster so you know if you're drilling mount elbows in if you're you know any you know you're playing guard you know knees up feet up feet pointing at them and just knowing that there should there is a stance that you should be in jiu-jitsu in all positions offensive or defensive um they may not have been defined as clearly yet but i think they will be and it'll be quite you know that can be hammered on from a from an early point and that will help people's development a lot faster. That's awesome. So where can people find you, Sonny? Obviously, we have the Sonny Brown Breakdown podcast. Lots of good interviews there. We will include links in the notes. How's other ways that people can reach you and connect with you? Yeah, so uh, the website is sunnybrown.net, S-O-N-N-Y-B-R-O-W-N. And, yeah, that's got links to everything up on there. The Instagram is Sunny Brown Breakdown. And the gym is Apex MMA. So it's apexmma.com.au and then we're out there, Sydney's Northern Beaches. But, um, yeah, if anyone's around, come visit. Be be happy to have you. Be happy to have you guys too. Love to come uh, through. Awesome, awesome. Good chat. Thank you. Thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks, man.